All right, open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 9, Jeremiah chapter 9. The evening study, this is a false confidence, believing in a false confidence. And that was what was going on with the children of Israel here. They had a, call, a, a false confidence in things that they thought would save them and gave them a right relationship with God. Chapter 9 here starts with Jeremiah grieving over his people. Jeremiah's heart is broken. It's hurting as he sees the people rejecting God's tender, loving compassion. And so he's grieving for his people. The Jews are the only nation in history that God made a covenant relationship with. They, being the children of Abraham, also marked by the tradition of circumcision, really made them a special people to the Lord. But the problem was they were trusting more in the covenant and the tradition of circumcision to guarantee that the Lord accepted them. That is, if they trusted in the covenant and they had been circumcised, hey, we're accepted by the Lord. They didn't think that they had to repent of their sin or believe in God, in the laws of God. You know, that was just for the uncircumcised Gentiles. But John the Baptist, Jesus, the Apostle Paul, they all dealt with the same problem in their ministries. Jeremiah had to deal with the pride of his people by pointing out to them three obvious truths that they were placing their confidence in. The truths are of Jeremiah saying, these things will not save you. The first truth was, just because you, you have this covenant relationship and you've been circumcised, just because you're God's covenant people doesn't mean you can sin. It doesn't mean you can sin. And this is covered now in verses 1 through 6 here. Jeremiah, like Jesus and Paul, cried over the sad spiritual condition that the people were in. And you don't usually find leaders in congregations today that cry for the lost and those in sin. The emphasis today seems to be on enjoyment and entertainment and pleasing the people the psalmist said in psalm 119 136 rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law godly men and women are affected with deep sorrow for the sins of the ungodly instead of evangelists and soul winners churches now have comedians and entertainers and storytellers who apparently haven't read James verse, uh, chapter 4 verses 9 through 10 that says let there be tears for what you've done let there be sorrow and deep grief let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor read from the New Living Translation Vance Havner said this great southern preacher he said never in history has there been more ribald uh, hilarity or crude hilarity with less to be funny about so let's go ahead and begin now in chapter 9 with verse 1 jeremiah begins oh that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that i might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people this is the verse that gave jeremiah his nickname the weeping prophet Jeremiah's heart is broken, and his heart is speaking out here. His heart is expressing the feelings that he's feeling for his people. 
There's a deep sorrow over what's going to happen to his people because of their sin. Yet his compassion for their suffering was balanced by his his disgust for their sin. He's also distressed because he's becoming more and more lonely in his ministry. He He says, nobody understands me. People are avoiding me. They don't want to be around me. Others mistreated him. And he's so bummed out and heartbroken that he just, he just wants to fly away and live out in the desert by himself. Notice the first part of verse 2. He says, Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers that I might leave my people and go from them. He said, Man, I, you know, I just like to get away from all of this and just forget these people and live in a, in a traveler's shack out in the desert. But Jeremiah is saying, he says, you know, I'd rather live in a secluded shack in the desert than living with the unfaithful people of Judah. Because it's breaking his heart. They don't listen to him. They don't want to be around Jeremiah. They're abusing him. Jeremiah is saying exactly the same thing about the way many tired and saddened shepherds or pastors feel today. I heard a a pastor on the radio, radio ministry say, Pastors today last about two and one-third years in their church because the people don't get involved. They don't serve. They're not committed. They don't give to the Lord. They don't evangelize. They don't help their church to grow. And it's always a, a handful of the same people that do most of the work. And so it's really hard for them to do what God has called them to do because they have no support. The people spend a lot of time arguing with one another, complaining, judging one another, and they're they're not growing and blooming. But thank God that Jeremiah didn't throw in the towel. He knew what his calling was. He knew that his calling was to stay and to minister God's word to the people. Because you see, it's impossible for him to run away. He's just sharing here out of his heart the grief that he has through a series of of these things that he's saying. He's just expressing the sorrow of his loving heart. Now, later on in chapter 20, verse 710, this is what he says. He says, oh, Lord, you induced me or deceived me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. He says, I, I'm, in, I'm in derision every day. and I'm being ridiculed every day. Everyone's mocking me. He says, for when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted violence and plunder. In other words, the reason he was being mocked, ridiculed, and he feels like he was deceived by God is because all he has is to tell the people about the violence and the plunder, the judgments that's coming because of their sins. People don't want to hear that. He says, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him. He decides, okay, I'm not going to say anything about the Lord anymore. I'm not going to speak anymore in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. Though he would have liked to have said, hey, I'm done. I want, to go out in the, I want to go out in the desert. I want to live in a shack all by myself and not have to deal with this stuff. He says, and not mention his name anymore. He says, I couldn't do it. My, he says, because his word is burning in my heart. And he says, I am tired of holding it back. I, I couldn't hold it back. 
When God's servants find themselves in trouble because they've been faithful in ministry, they're often tempted to question their call and to reconsider their calling. And that's why he said, Lord, I, you, 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 you induced me, you deceived me. And I, and I was persuaded because you were stronger than I. So he began to doubt his calling because of the difficulty that he was experiencing. And that's, that's pretty natural. But you, when you go back to chapter 1 of Jeremiah, you will see that God did not mislead Jeremiah. He told Jeremiah clear, Jeremiah, you are going to have a difficult time. These people are not going to listen to you. But you see, if he would have trusted the Lord, he would make him, but you know, he, he if he trusted in the Lord, God said, I'm going to make you, Jeremiah, a fortified city and a bronze wall before your enemies. They're not going to get through. God had warned Jeremiah that the demands of ministry would increase and that he would have to grow in order to keep going. And as we serve the Lord, our ability for ministry, it should increase. And it should enable us to do a lot more than we ever thought we could do. Look at the last part of verse 2. And, he, and this is why he wants to go for them. He says, for they are all adulterers and assembly of treacherous men. Jeremiah tells us now why he was so grieved, why he felt the way he did, why he was expressing these words. Jeremiah is given discernment to see into the lives of the people. And what he sees just breaks his heart and it really saddens him, saddens him for that. Because he says, they're all adulterers. You know, it's talking about spiritual adultery. They're idol worshipers. They're a bunch of, of liars. They're spiritual and physical adulterers. He says, and they're, dis, they're, they're guilty of dishonesty. Look at verse 3. He says, and like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. They are not valiant for the truth on the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, says the Lord. He says, they, you know, he says they, they, they use their, their, their tongue like a bow and arrow and just shoot out lies. He says they're not valiant for the truth. They're not, you know, standing for the truth. They're not excited about the truth. They're not proclaiming it. They're not living the truth. And he says, you know, and, and, and then he goes, they're just going from evil to evil. They're just getting worse because of that. As a matter of fact, they say, he, he says they don't even trust each other. Look at verse 4. Everyone take heed to his neighbor and do not trust any brother. For every brother will utterly supplant and every neighbor will walk with slanderers. You know, Jeremiah says, watch out for your neighbor. Don't even trust your neighbor or your brother. Because brother takes advantage of brother here and friend slanders friend. The Hebrew word supplant... <clears throat> Uh, here in verse 4 is the same used word, for ja uh, word used for Jacob referring to the betrayal of his brother Esau. The people are like their ancestor. They're, in other words, they're, they're all like Jacob's. They're all like Jacob's, his, uh, his brothers. Verse 5. Everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. Jeremiah says, they all fool and defraud each other. No one tells the truth. He says, with skillful tongues, practiced tongues, they tell lies. They actually go out of their way to commit iniquity. 
verse 6. Your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and try them, for how shall I deal with the daughter of my people? Now here, in verse 6, Jeremiah says, They're living deceitful lies. They don't even want to know the Lord. They refuse to know God. He says, and their wickedness was thought out and it was intentional. So what they were doing just wasn't that that they didn't know better. Their wickedness, the evil that they did, it was thought out, it was planned, and it was intentional. And they are especially deceptive with their tongues. He says, they say good things to their neighbor's face, but inwardly, they're really trying to ruin them. And then in verses 7 through 16, Jeremiah gives the second truth, the second false confidence that causes them to to believe that being God's covenant people, you know, they will escape judgment. They believe being God's covenant people, this doesn't mean, though, they will escape from judgment. If anything, being God's chosen people means that we should receive the greater judgment. Because Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. In Amos chapter 3, verse 2, God says this to the Jews. From among all the families on the earth, I've been intimate with you alone, and that's why I have to punish you for all your sins. And that punishment would be like the heat of the furnace. Notice seven, verse 7 again. He says, he said, Behold, I'm sorry, he says, um, Your dwelling place is in the midst of the seat. No, therefore, I'm sorry, verse 7. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and try them. Notice, that is, he'll put them in the fire. He's going to refine them. He's going to test them. In the heat of the furnace. In other words, it would destroy the cities and it would make those places, uh, those cities, uh, places for animals to live. The fruitful fields in those cities, they'd become like deserts because nobody would live there and nobody would farm the land. The destruction would be so bad that even the birds wouldn't, wouldn't stay there. The birds would leave because there wouldn't be any places for the uh, birds to make their nests. So why would this land of milk and honey become like a desert? Because the people disobeyed God's law and they turned to idols. You see, they thought being God's chosen people would protect them from his judgment. Look at verse 7. Again, behold, I will refine them and try them, for how shall I deal with the daughter of my people? So this is what the Lord says. He says, see, I'm going to melt them down in a melting pot, and I'm going to test them like metal. He says, what else can I do with my people? He's basically, you know, Jeremiah saying to the people, you you leave God no other choice. God responded to Judah's deception by seeking to refine and test her because of her sin. And God would place Judah, uh, figuratively speaking, in, in a melting pot of judgment and would deal with her deceit. Verse 8. He goes on to say, their tongue is an arrow shot out. Notice, it speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth. Notice, but in his heart, he lies in wait. Jeremiah says, their tongues shoot out lies like poison arrows. He says, they speak friendly to their neighbors, while in their heart, they're scheming to kill them. Now, this verse is similar to verse 3 that we've read already. Now look at verse 9. 
He says, shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? So here's another reason for Jeremiah's grief. It comes from from the devastation that he knows is coming upon the land. And especially in Jerusalem. He knows that everything is going to be destroyed. It's all going to be wiped out. Verse 10. He says, I will take up a weeping and wailing for the mountains and for the dwelling places of the, of the wilderness, a lamentation. And here it is, because they are burned up so that no one can pass through, nor can men hear the voice of the cattle. Both the birds of the heavens and the beasts have fled. They're gone. He says, I'm going to weep for the mountains and the wilderness pastures. Because they're barren. There's no life in them. He says, you're not going to hear the cattle mooing there anymore. The birds and the animals, they've all taken off. And then he describes Jerusalem in verse 11. He says, I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a den of jackals. I will make the cities of Judah desolate without an inhabitant. Now, this prophecy in verse 11 was fulfilled in 586 B.C. when the city was literally reduced to rubble. Verse 12. Who is the wise man who may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken that he may declare it? Why does the land perish and burn up like a wilderness so that no one can pass through it? Jeremiah mourns over again the spiritual stupidity of the people. He says, a wise man would have asked some questions why all of this was happening. You know, why has the land been so ruined? Why has it been burned up so badly to the point that nobody wants to travel through it? You know, and it's like a lot of people today, they see what's going on. It's like, okay. They don't ask any questions. Why are all these things happening in our world today, in our society today? All the changes, all the violence, all the, all the dishonesty and all, all, everything that's going, play, going on. They just go along with the program. God says here, you know, somebody would have asked questions. Why is this happening? Why, is the land, why has the land been so ruined? Messed up so badly to the point nobody wants to live in it. Nobody wants to travel through it. Jeremiah says a discerning person would have quickly seen why. And he says, here's why in verses 13 and 14. And the Lord said, here's why. Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and and they have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it. But they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts, and after the Baals, which were gods, false gods, which their fathers taught them. So, uh, again, you know, God says here, let's look at verse 16 uh, uh, along with that. Let's look at verse 15. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them this people with wormwood and give them water of gall to drink. Again, a discerning people would have quickly seen why, as he said in verses 13 and 14. He says, so the destruction came... This is answering the people because the people had turned from God's law. That is, they they turned from God's word. They they didn't listen to God's word. 
And not only that, they followed the Baals, which were false gods. This is why God would scatter them among the other nations and why many in Judah would be killed by the sword. A wise person would have looked ahead and known that sorrow and tragedy would be the result of this kind of behavior. Rejecting the word of God, not listening to the word, and following false gods. And, And that's exactly what's happening in our nation tonight. They don't want to hear God's word. They don't want God's word. They reject God's word. They follow the dictates of their own heart. They want to do what's right in their own eyes, and they're following other gods. They might not be statues of wood or stone, but those gods are whatever they desire to serve, whether it's their own flesh or somebody else or something else. Whatever dominates all of their time and, 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 and their life is their God. Maybe it's their job, their bank book, whatever it might be. But they've rejected the word of God and they're serving other gods. And that's why God says things are so messed up. Again, we're going to read verses 15 and 16 again here. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also among the Gentiles, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them until I have consumed them. God says, look, I'm going to feed them with bitterness, and I'm going to give them poison to drink. Again, figuratively speaking. He says, I'm going to scatter them around the world in places that they and their ancestors have never heard of. And even there, I'm going to chase them with the sword until I've destroyed them completely. Ever since Jeremiah's time, the words wormwood and gall, those words have been used to characterize severe affliction and sorrow. And the reference to scattering them among the Gentiles, that means he's going to scatter them among the heathens. And this is a prediction of their exile. Judah should have learned from the fall of Israel. You know, what happened to them. He should have learned by by their fall. And the judgment to them. But Judah obviously didn't learn anything. And Jeremiah cries because no one discerns what's going to happen to the nation. And he insists that if if they would have known the goodness and the grace of God, they could have read the signs of the times. But no one, nobody wants to believe, especially in, in our time today, nobody wants to believe that the judgment of God is upon us, the hand of God is upon us. Or might be the reverse, he's lifting it from upon us. You tell them that, that the drought and the economy, all these things, that, that, that God rules those things. They don't want to believe that's the hand of God, that that's, that's, he's lifting us, his hand off of these things. Our government... They don't want God in their go- in, in government. They don't want him in the schools. Thus the violence and the perversion and all the things that's going on in our land. One day it says in Matthew 16, 1 through 3, it says, One day the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. Notice, they wanted to see Jesus do some miraculous thing before the, the spiritual leaders would believe who Jesus was and the authority that he had. And Jesus replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. He says, you know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. 
You know, they can, hey, well, there's a bunch of clouds in the sky. It's going to rain today. You know, whatever the weather might be, you know, it, they can discern the, the, the weather. It says they, they can't discern. They don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. God speaks to Jeremiah again, and his words are the reason for these new words of sorrow. Now, in verses 17 through 26, we see the third truth that, that God spoke to them, this, this false confidence they had. Being God's covenant people doesn't assure us of spiritual understanding. Just because they had a covenant relationship with God and they had the tradition, the custom of circumcision, did not mean they understand the spiritual things of God. Look at verses 17 and 18. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider and call for the mourning women that they may come and send for skillful wailing women that they may come. Let them make haste and take up a wailing for us that our eyes may run with tears and our eyelids gush with water. This message is so important that Jeremiah is recommending calling in professional mourners. The women mourners were to stir up the people of Jerusalem to cry over the city to the point that water would just pour out of their eyes. Verse 19, for a voice of wailing is heard from Zion, how we are plundered, we are greatly ashamed because we have forsaken the land, because we have been cast out of our dwellings. Jeremiah says, listen to the people of Jerusalem crying in despair. They're crying, we're ruined. We're totally humiliated. Why? Because their belongings have been destroyed. The exile has come. The enemy has just torn down their homes. Again, in judgment. God's judgment. But there's still another reason for their grief. Other than losing their, their belongings. They need more than professional mourners for this. Look at verse 20. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O women, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach your daughters wailing and everyone her neighbor a lamentation. He says, women, listen to what the Lord is saying. Listen to the words of the Lord. Open your ears to what he has to say. He's, the Lord is saying, teach your daughters to wail. Teach one another how to grieve. Because the coming disaster in Jerusalem would be so great... The dead would be so numerous that multitudes of trained mourners would be needed to mourn over them. Verse 21, and here's why again. For death has come through our windows. It's entered our palaces to kill off the children, no longer to be outside, and the young men no longer on the streets. Verse 21 says, death Jeremiah was saying, death has crept in through our windows and has entered our, our mansions, palaces. It's killed the children. They no longer play in the streets and young men no longer gather in the marketplaces. He said, death has come. Death has come like the Canaanite, the Canaanite god of death, Mot. Mot was believed to enter houses through an open window to bring adversity, destruction, and death. Children, young men, men are going to die. Death is going to claim its victim. And death does not care how old they are or whether they're male or female. God, death is no respecter of persons. Death has appear, uh, appeared suddenly. And it's appeared in a way that they didn't expect. And there's no way they can stop it. 
So see, this is a real reason for the people to weep. Verse 22. Speak thus, says the Lord. Even the carcasses of men shall fall as refuse or dung on the open field like cuttings after the harvester and no one shall gather them. So Jeremiah says corpses, corpses would remain in the open field. They'd be just laying on top of the ground. He said like refuse the word, or, or dung or like cuttings that left in the field just left there to decompose. And so the bodies would remain in the open field like sheaves of wheat. They, would, they wouldn't be given a proper burial and their bodies would be treated like trash or dung. And, and for a Jew, for them not to be buried in those days, you know, it, it, was, it was a horrible thing for them. It was horrifying for them. Verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. He says, the wise, the mighty, and the rich. These were the people that Jeremiah said were depending on their own skills and abilities rather than on God. They were depending on themselves or their money or whatever possessions that they have. They were depending upon their riches, their own abilities, rather than on God. The word glory here, it may also be translated boast, meaning to praise oneself. The idea is that people should find their real meaning and true worth in the fact that they know God. And that they might celebrate, celebrate His attributes. True knowledge of God resulting from an intimate relationship in will be seen in a person's character. You know, by looking at a person's character, again, if they're Christian or, or, you know, what their kind of character that they have. There's three attributes of God mentioned here that God demands of his people who are called by his name. And, And notice that God says, you know, if you're being called by my name. Let's say if you're if you call yourself a Christian. There's three things that he demands. That you show loving kindness, meaning loyal love. Judgment, meaning justice or fairness. And righteousness, meaning uprightness. And he says, let not the wise man glory in his own wisdom. Because the real basis of wisdom and happiness is knowing God. And the best way to understand God's character is to study what he loves and to study how he deals with men and why he deals with them the way that he does. It doesn't matter how many college degrees you have. It doesn't matter how much power you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Those things cannot guarantee God's blessings. God doesn't take pleasure in a nation's learning in their political influence, their armies, or their economy. God says he delights in people who practice loving kindness, justice, and righteousness because they know and fear the Lord. And God promises them. He promises covenant blessings to those who obey him, not to those who only go through religious formalities or through religious ceremonies. 
Righteousness, judgment, and loving kindness. Those are the sources of true wisdom. They're the big three of the Old Testament. And on these three things, righteousness, judgment, and kindness, a person or a nation can build securely upon those things. Without them, even the greatest and the strongest people are hopelessly weak. These are two really neat scriptures, two great scriptures. But we have to remember that they were spoken to a people who had rejected the word of God. Now, as a nation, what do we glory in? Do we glory in our smooth-talking politicians? Do we glory in our government, our economy? Do we glory in the size and the might of our army, the stock market? We need to be reminded that our strength is not in these things. Any strength that we have has to be in our spiritual values and moral values, in our character and our purpose. And these things, for the most part, aren't even taught in our schools and colleges today. We've raised a generation that's rude, that's confused, a generation that has no sense of moral value or purpose. Judges 2.10 says, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. These are not popular things to say today. It doesn't make friends or inspire people, as Jeremiah found out. Again, that's when we go back to the beginning of chapter 10. I just wish I could get away from all of this. Just go out in the desert and live by myself. Because they just ridiculed him. They didn't want to hear God's word. They didn't want to hear the truth. But we have to stand with Jeremiah today. Because God is the only hope that we have. But we have to be willing to take a stand against sin. We have to be willing to take a stand against this anti-God culture. Many people think they can be saved without forsaking the world. But what we need so badly is a group of people, a group of leaders and church members who know something other than today's godless philosophy and not caving into it. We need people who know God, who know his word and are obeying his word. The biggest need in our country right now is to return to God. To the things for which this nation was founded upon. We need to set aside hypocrisy, our pretense, and our, crave, our caving into pressure of our society and the illusion, hey, we're a smart people today. We're evolving. We're progressing. <laughs> if we are, I hate to see the future. We brag about what we've accomplished when our greatest need is to walk in a way that will glorify God. People tend to admire these three things, wisdom, power, and riches. But God, he puts a higher priority and value on knowing him personally and living a life that reflects his justice and his righteousness. Once again, what do you want people to admire most about you? Verses 25 and 26 as we end the chapter. 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corners who dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. God is saying here that, that if personal achievement or ability would not please God, as it says there in verse 23, then neither would, con- be, neither would, would conforming to outward religious rit- uh, rituals. God would punish those who are circumcised only in the flesh, whether they were near or far away. Judah's faith in her covenant sign, that is circumcision, was a misplaced faith. Because there were people in some other nations who practiced the same ritual of circumcision. But they weren't even under God's covenant. Judah's disobedience exposed the fact that the nation was really uncircumcised in their heart. And Jeremiah here is stressing the need for inward religion and not an outward conformance to religious practices. Jeremiah says, the day is coming here. He says, when I will punish all of those who are circumcised in body, but not in spirit. Paul said in Romans 12, 2, he said, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This world wants to control your mind. It wants to control you. But God wants to transform your mind. And this word transform is the same as the word transfigure in Matthew 17, 2. The great transfiguration. The transfiguration of Christ. In our English language, it's become the word metamorphosis. It describes a change from within. It's the picture of the butterfly in the cocoon. From inside that cocoon, it metamorphoses into a beautiful butterfly. The world wants to change your mind. So what does it do? It exerts pressure on you from the outside. But you see, the Holy Spirit changes your mind by releasing power from within. If the world controls your thinking, you are a conformer. If God controls your thinking, you are a transformer. God transforms our minds and he makes us spiritually minded. How? By using his word. You want to be spiritually minded? Read his word. And as you spend time meditating on God's word and memorizing it and making it a part of your inner man, God will gradually make your mind more spiritual. That's why Paul said, let the word of God dwell in you richly. And the word dwell means to be at home at. Is the word of God at home in your heart? Is it like Jeremiah said, man, it burns within me. I can't help but speak it out. I can't contain it. God will gradually make you make your mind more spiritual as you read and memorize and meditate upon the word of God. So in closing, Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 7:19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Jeremiah said here, hey, it doesn't matter whether Egypt or Edom or Judah practice circumcision. Because what happens to the uncircumcised in the heart will be the same as the uncircumcised in the flesh. 
So the circumcision in the flesh of the Jew will be treated like uncircumcision unless an inner circumcision of the heart, the cutting away of the flesh of the heart accompanies the outward act. You see, the inward has to be displayed on the outward. They can't, they can't contradict one another. Outward conformity to religion without inward grace which the, life, uh, which, which the life that goes with it is no good. You see, if I have an outward show that I'm religious, but I don't have the inward grace, it's no good. It's like when Jesus compared it to, to, a, to a, a whitewashed tomb, a whitewashed you know, casket. It's all beautiful on the outside. It's all ornamented. It's got the nice, the, all the, the, the paint and all the, the, the embellishments. But inside it's filled with dead men's bones. And that's what he's saying here. Outward conformity to religion without inward grace, which, you know, is the life that goes with it. It's no good. And because Judah had missed the deeper meaning of the outward acts of her religion, that is the change of heart, she would be punished with the unbelieving nations. Just the same. Because they were no better. The, the, the religious nation, again, Judah, who depended upon the covenant relationship and who depended upon circumcision, the physical circumcision, they were no better than the heathen nations who had no, who had no circumcision. He said they would both be treated the same. Because they're, they're, they weren't, and Judah was no better than the heathen nations. So it must be the, the change of heart. Because the change of heart is where the, the change on the outside begins. God changes us from the inside and it reflects on the outside. Again, the inward display must match the outward. Father, we thank you so much for your word, God. And Father, help us so much, Lord. We need so much help, Lord. But really what we need is, is dedication to you and commitment to you, Father. Loyalty to you, Lord. Father, help us to be bold like Jeremiah. Help us to take a stand like Jeremiah. Yes, there are times like Jeremiah when we do feel weak. We do feel like <coughs> that... that Lord, did I make a mistake? But we must remember God doesn't make a mistake. He chose us. We did not choose him. And with that foreknowledge, having that foreknowledge of God, I can't believe that he would choose any losers. So Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your spirit, God. Lord, help us to live for you. Regardless of the ridicule, regardless of the, the pressures to, to conform. But let us transform, God. Let us be transformed day by day and become more and more like Christ. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.